0: Gonna read a longer section here, Nehemiah chapter nine. So while you're turning there, I'll just kinda of give a short summary up to this point. So towards the beginning of Nehemiah, of course, Nehemiah hears about what happened, what's going on in Jerusalem, and he prays and God sends him, and they face a lot of opposition, but they rebuild the wall. And they deal with the not only the wall, but things going on, oppression on the inside of the city. And in this particular chapter, chapter 9, it's a long prayer, but it's also the longest summary of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, um, depending on how you count it, whether you count it by words or by verses. So, um, one of the longest for sure. And as we read through it, just to give you kind of something to look for so you don't just zone out, which is what I do too if it's really long, especially because nobody would pay me to read audiobooks because I'm too monotone or whatever. (laughs) So, doubly hard. Um, But just so there's something kind of to to look for, I want you to look for this word, give, that happens over and over. Give, the word give. And so it kind of is a theme running throughout this about this chapter, and so as we read through Nehemiah 9, just think about that as we come to the word give and what it's saying. Alright, so Nehemiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. The Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of the day they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Bani, Kadmeel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Cheniah, And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmeel, Bani, Ashbaniah, Sherabiah, Hodiah, Shabaniah, Pethaniah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens and all their hosts and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You you found his heart faithful before you and made with him a covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Gershite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. That's verse 10. Just note there on verse 10, Uh, some translations um, give it completely literally, which says he gave signs and wonders. So there's that another time Give. ESV doesn't come out, but that is the word give there. Okay, verse 11. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them rules... And true laws, good statutes, and commandments, and made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them commandments and statutes, a law by Moses your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, and stiffened their neck, and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness the pillar sorry in the wilderness the pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day nor the pillar of fire by night to light them to light for them the way by which they should go you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Shihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with the kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities, a rich land, and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back, and killed your prophets, who had warned them in in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies, who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors, who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rested, they did evil before you. You abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, and they would not obey. Many years you bore with them, and warned them by your spirit, through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the land, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them, or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandment and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large land, the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of this, we make a firm covenant in writing, and on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Okay, so one more item of review here that I want to go over is we talked about how do we read the Old Testament? What should we take from the Old Testament? And to try and make it memorable, I use letters P, P, E, because that's in the news a lot, um, but totally different meaning here. Um, P, how do we read the Old Testament? P, is there anything that points forward to Christ? Another P, is there a promise that's fulfilled in Christ? And E, is there an example for us to follow or avoid? So, something to think about... As we go through this, you know, is there any promise that's fulfilled in Christ? Is there anything that points to Christ? Is there an example to follow or avoid? And so, I kind of do hit all these in this in this section. Okay, to introduce this, I want to tell you kind of a nonfiction story, I guess, a true story that I read about. And I tried to verify this and find all, like all the details so I get it all right this week. I could not find it, so maybe one day I'll find it again. But It's a story about these friends who all go up, five of them, to, um, I think it's Mount Hood in Oregon. I think it's in Oregon. It, anyways, it's in the uh, west, west coast, northern west coast, the northwest. And it's this tall mountain, and they want to go climbing, and it's considered kind of an easier mountain even though it's still pretty hard and high. But if people have done like a larger mountain, they kind of consider it not as bad because it's not like um, some of the mountains over in Asia and things. So these, all these guys are going to go climb this mountain. And they set up this safety system. There's five of them roped together, and they practiced it. So it's icy, and they've got these boots on where they can kick into the ice, and they've also got axes. And so you can imagine somebody climbing up kind of like a big icy hill and there's also cliffs at certain points and they have to be lay and stuff. But what they did was they set up this safety system where they're all tied together and if any of them fell, they would yell, falling, and everyone else would put in their axe and catch them with the rope. Um, and so that was their system. They worked it out. They They all practiced it. They would do practice falls and all this stuff. And so they start climbing the mountain. And what ends up happening is the system worked and the weakest guy was at the back and the most experienced guy was at the front. And for them to be able to belay on the cliffs, the first guy had to have a longer length of rope. And so what ended up happening was the system worked except for one specific situation that they didn't consider or they did, thought wouldn't happen, which is if the first man falls. So if the strongest climber falls... Uh, there's more rope, and he falls farther, and so he would um, pull the next guy off. And then the next guy, even if he saw two falling, you know, there's two bodies now that are falling, and they've got a lot of momentum. So he puts tries to put his in, um, it would fail, and which wouldn't be too bad if it f- happened towards the beginning. But what ended up happening was, of course, they climbed quite a ways, and eventually the first guy fell, and there was a big accident. Um... And it all hinged on the strongest guy not making a mistake. And that was the fail, the failure point. The, the experts or whatever, when I was reading about this, basically said they would have been safer if they all climbed separately because um, what ended up happening was one fall pulled everyone down. And it wouldn't have happened except it was the guy they expected not to fall. And so I, um, it's a sad story, but it's also kind of a... Striking image. Um, And also, it's a good metaphor, really, for the Christian life. That what is, as we read through this, we read through this passage and we begin to talk about what is our anchor point in the Christian life, you know? Are we, what is a church? You know, as a church, why are we here? Is that the image of a church? Are we all tied together trying to keep each, each other from falling? That's true, in a sense. In one way, that's true. We're trying to help each other. But in another way... Um, It's not true, because in the end, you and me, we're not dependent. You're not dependent on me for your salvation. A better metaphor would be, um, we're all tied together. We are trying to help one another, but there's one guy at the front, and it's Jesus. And he's never going to fall. And that it's not an imperfect system, because he's perfect. He's God, and he's able, if we all fell, if there was, you know, however many ten thousand... Uh, He could put his axe in and hold all of us, and he has. And that's the reality, really. We all have fallen. And in that sense, it's uh, fallen in terms of sin, even in our Christian life. And so here we are, kind of a way to introduce this passage of, that's kind of the storyline of this passage and of the Old Testament, isn't it? Over and over and over, um, human beings who want to follow God falling, and over and over and over, even committing, we're not going to do this, and then falling, but a gracious God, who holds them fast, and has steadfast love, and so that's the summary, really, of this whole section, but let's just look through it piece by piece, and keep that in mind the first thing I want to go through, is let's just go through all the things it says that God gave, because really the main character of the Bible cannot be us. At least the hero can't be. Because otherwise, this would be a miserable story, right? The Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament too, would be really sad if we're the heroes. And we, as we read this, we see we're not the hero. God is, right? The hope here from this passage from the whole Old Testament and from the New Testament is God. And it's not it's not our strength. It's not our faithfulness. It's God, His strength, and His faithfulness. So let's just look at that. As we read through this, we see men falling, but God giving and being faithful. So I'm just going to go through all the things it says that God gave. And then we're also going to go through kind of the people's failures there um, and falls. So the first thing is God gave them the promised land. So in verse nine, or chapter 9, verse 8, it says, You found his heart, Abraham, before faithful before you, and you made with him a covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite. So basically, God promised to give them the promised land, and that's God giving. And what is the people's response? Um, Well, over and over, they failed, really, to believe it, to trust God, and some of them stick out more than others. One that really sticks out to me in this situation is Numbers 14. It says, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, so they had just come out. Um, the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So here's this picture that comes out in this passage and also in the whole Testament. But God, he gave him a land, and the people say, well, I know God said he gave us the land, but I think we'd rather go back to Egypt. And how sad. But think on the other hand, if you focus on the people, it's just so sad. But if you focus on God, it's encouraging. It's like, look, God promised this; They just didn't believe it. They did a lot of things over and over to kind of turn away from it, and yet God was faithful, and he still brought them in the land. And he still gave them the land. And so when God gave the land, it was despite the people. Um... Despite them not believing, um, the vast majority of them, when they try to enter the land and, you know, they didn't want to go in, the spies, all except for two, said, no, let's not go in, they're too big. God still gave them the land. What a gracious God, full of steadfast love and mercy, right? That he chooses the people who aren't strong, aren't the heroes, who continue to fail, and he brings them along. He pulls them along. They fall and he catches them with his grace and his love, and he pulls them forward. So that's the first thing. Second, he gave signs and wonders. So, again, it doesn't come out in English really here, but he gave signs and wonders. So not only is he going to give them the land, he's going to show them, like, I'm really going to do this, and and you'll see my strength. You'll see my ability. And um, that's in verse 10. But what happened? One, The passage that sticks out to me in terms of Here's God's, what God gave, and here's the people's response. Uh, this sticks out to me. Moses had done the signs before them, and this is what they say. They said to, they said to them, Moses and Aaron, The Lord look on you and judge you, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have, and have put a sword into their hands to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people, and why did you ever send me? So here comes Moses, which God gave him the ability to do miracles so people would believe him, and he does it. And their response, we don't like that you're doing this. You're making us stink. And Moses' response, oh God, I wish you would have never sent me. And then, okay, that's obviously the discouraging part, the encouraging part, the gracious God behind those people who brings them on, who, who pulls them out, who brings them through. Out of the slavery, despite their discouragement, despite their unbelief, here's a good God who pulls them through. The steadfast love and grace of God. So that's the encouraging part. Third thing, he gave them right rules, true laws, good statutes and commandments, it says in verse 13. So God gave them the law. God gave them the way that they should walk in. Um this is this is the way the life ought to be. I've said before you, it says in Deuteronomy, life and death, good and evil, therefore choose life. He's wanting to give them life, and he's showing them this is the way, walk in it. So what an encouragement, a good God who gave him a promised land, gave him signs and wonders, and pulled them out of Egypt, and then gave them the way to live in, the, in, in any situation, but specifically in the promised land when they get there. And what's the response? Um, you know, you can probably think of your own examples. The one that stuck out to me um, was from Jeremiah. Jeremiah. I'll read you a couple of verses here where the people don't want to follow the law um, that God has given them. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. And all the words that I command you to speak to them, do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen, And everyone turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you. And then he goes on to talk about what he's going to do. But basically the point there is, Jeremiah comes to them and he's saying, basically turn back. Here's the law, here's the way you're walking is an evil way and I've given you a good way. Turn and listen and walk in what I've said. Again, sin, the fall, but who's who's there to catch them? A gracious God, and even though they did go in to be captured, you know, by, God gave them into the hand of their enemies, which we'll come to in just a minute. Here they are, back in the Promised Land, with the walls built up, and they're confessing their sins and praising God. He brought them through, not only through that specific trial, but he brought them all the way back through to repentance. So praise the Lord for that the gracious God there, who not only gives rules, but then is there to catch us when we fall, when we sin, and we don't do what he asks us to do. A couple more here. He gave them bread and water, 9.15. It actually comes up repeatedly in this section, how he gave them the manna, how he gave them water out of the rock. The story that kind of sticks out to me is or their response to this in numbers where they say we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt and the caught, and that cost nothing the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions and the garlic but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at it's like here god provided them bread from heaven and they grumbled remember remember uh, over and over actually but that one stuck out to sticks out to me because they one i mean <laughs> I want to eat cucumbers, leeks, onions and garlic. That sounds pretty good to me. It um, doesn't sound good, that's why it sticks out to me, but um, And yet God, God, even when He gives um, judgments, he restrains, he comes back in mercy. And he's a good God, both to give the people the bread in the first place, and then to pick them up when they grumble and to carry them on, keep providing. How easy would it be to say, God, to have said, "Like, nope, I'm done. You don't want the bread? No more bread." And yet He didn't. You know, He kept on, and He, not only did He bear with them there in their sin, but He brought them on, um, brought them into repentance, brought them into the promised land. A couple more here, and then we'll talk about how this applies in our lives. Got a few more. He gave His Spirit to instruct them. Uh, 920. So they had God's people throughout. The Old Testament had God's spirit to guide them. Not only did they have the way they should walk and the commandments um, with the law, but they also had God's spirit to help them and guide them, both in the wilderness, but then also um, as individuals. And in the story that sticks out to me that kind of their failure um, doesn't come up in this particular chapter, but it really fits in with this way this chapter is structured, where it gives what they did, gives how God gave, and then it talks about how they stiffened their neck. There's kind of a play on words there it's it's not it doesn't come across in English, but like we talk about giving someone the cold shoulder that's kind of how it is when it talks about stiffening their neck or hardening their um we we would say hardening their heart. We might say like giving the cold shoulder to God that's kind of what it basically says that. He gave them all this, and they gave him a stiffened neck. Is kind of how it talks, the way it talks about. So it's kind of this contrasting vision of here's God who's giving; He's gracious, and they turn back and give. They don't give ear, or they give this stiffened neck to God. And so, God gives His Spirit to instruct them. The story that sticks out to me that kind of fits in with this theme of here's God giving you a gift, and they um, they fall short is when Miriam and Aaron come to Moses, and they don't like that God's speaking through Moses, get, instructing them by his Spirit. Um, and they said this, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. <laughs> it's like, God, got somebody to tell you exactly what God said? It's like, God, I don't want to hear that. I want it to, I want you to speak different. It's like, do you ever feel like that? I mean... Don't you? I mean, don't you ever like have the Bible? It's like, I wish God would just talk to me audibly. It's like, yeah. It's like, well, God did talk to you, um, and it would be cool for God to talk to us. But we got to be content. It's like, look, God gave us. God speaks to us in the way He wants to speak to us, the way that's best for us. So, I mean, I see myself in many of these things that they do. It's like, here's this good gift, and it's like I can find the way I wish it would be, or I don't you know just fully receive it and just say god thank you for speaking the way you've spoken um and that's kind of what they do there he gave his spirit and they like complains like surely god's spirit has should work this way which makes me feel better um again god's gracious remember the grace there in that story with Miriam; she doesn't die of leprosy she comes back after seven days and is healed praise the lord for that um and so, let's keep going. Um, I'm going to give three here together, because they all kind of go together. He gave them victory as they go into the promised land. That actually comes up over and over, Tw- nine, twenty-two, and 24. Um, he gave them um, saviors, it says. Um, that's in nine twenty-seven. And so I'm just going to combine... Um, combine that those two sorry i said three those two together because they kind of go together in my mind um basically that even when something difficult's going on god's delivering them and god's continuing to give them saviors give them victory as they go into the land um and so what's their response you know again it says here over and over that they they stiffen their neck and and they harden their heart and and the one that kind of sticks out to me um in terms of that is, do you remember in Numbers when um, they came against Moses and this is what they said, they assembled themselves against Moses and and against Aaron and they said to him, you've gone too far for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Um, And so, I think that was Cora. There was was a specific guy's name, kind of leading this whole thing, but there was more than just him. But um, basically, God gave him a savior. You know, Moses in a way is a foreshadow of Jesus, pulling us out of our slavery to sin. And they don't like that. Um, they don't like. They don't want just this one guy. They want. They want it to be different. Um, so over and over, we see this gracious God that gives them good things, and they stiffen their neck. And God doesn't give them over, but continues to catch them, um, which leads into the next one. He does eventually give them over into the hand of their enemies. That that comes up over and over. Nine, uh, chapter nine, verse seven, verse thirty, verse thirty-seven, over and over it talks about giving them into the hand of their enemies. And so God gives good things. Uh, we're talking about all these good things. We got bread, His Spirit, His law, and even when He disciplines, He's giving something good. He He's slow to anger. And in the end, he will give them over. But just look at what happens in the end um, as he gives them over to the hand of their enemies. It's just for a time to lead them to repentance. And that's what happens is eventually they repent and they're brought back into the land, which is encouraging. And then the last one, which summarizes a lot of the things God gave. Why don't you look at this one with me in Nehemiah 9.35. It's kind of interesting. The way he says it here. Towards the end, even in their own kingdom amid, and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. that phrase that he gave them your great goodness that you gave them amid the grit your great goodness that you gave them. It seems like he's summing up he's summing up a lot of things there. It seems like it has to do with the land you know, the abundance of the land, but it seems like it's more than that, the way it's worded, that it's summing up this whole thing, that God was there with them, the God who gave him his spirit, that provided for them, that was with them, guiding them, disciplining them, uh, delivering them. He's giving them spiritual and material uh, benefits, all combined into this one phrase, you gave them your great goodness. Um, again, just we could just use this one to kind of summarize the whole thing. There's this good and great God who's giving, and the people who over and over kind of hardens their heart, turns from God. And so now it's like turn all these, kind of wrapping up all these ideas from this chapter and this whole summary of the Old Testament and kind of apply it to our lives and apply it to how we see the Bible. And the first way is just what we already talked about, that God is a main point of the Bible, God. Um, it's about God, but it's for us. And God is God is a hero, not us. Um, praise the Lord that when we look in the Bible, we see a picture of humanity and of the human condition that fits reality. Um, how discouraging would it be if the whole Old Testament and New Testament were pictures of people who were type A personalities who had it all together, who always did it, got it right, and that's the people who God loves to save. Right? How, would that be encouraging? <laughs> For when we sin, is that the message of the Bible? Uh, no. It's the message is that God, there's a gracious God who lifts up people despite um, our sin, and he pulls us along. And in, at every stage, when, when we mess up, he's there. He's there to give us um, and give us good gifts and when we don't want them he's there to keep keep at it and keep with us and show steadfast love even when we reject the good things that he's giving us and to pull us along to repentance and even when we need it disciplining us so that we might turn back to him in repentance this good and great God who loves sinners God came to save sinners not God came to save the healthy remember what Jesus said um, and that's one way that we can Ask, how does this point forward to Jesus? This is the story of, of Christ. Why did Christ come? Who did he come for? He came to save those who needed to be saved. He came for the sick, not the well. He came to show grace, not to pass out judgment. Um, in, his, in his first coming, he came to the house of the tax collector and the sinner and the prostitute. And he drew them in and he, and he said... Um, that he's gracious and he's compassionate and he's willing to forgive. And that's just the same God of the Old Testament. And think about the disciples. where the How many times they messed up over and over and over. And he's there. He's bearing with them. He's pulling them along. And he's... He, God loves to deal with sinners. And he loves to, to give them good gifts. And when they don't like them, to continue to work with them and bring them along. And that's the way he he is in our lives. It's the way Christ was here in his life. So that's that's one way we can talk about it. And and another thing, you know, way we can apply this to our lives is just to confess our sins. Confess our sins, be willing to confess our sins. This is what is really started this chapter was them starting to confess their own sins, but also the sins of the people, uh their their forefathers and how they kind of played into this same pattern. And so they just begin by confessing their sins. And you know what? We can do that. I mean, it's some, this is a way we can really apply this to our lives is we don't have to act like we've got it all together to plead pleasing to God. In fact, that's displeasing to God. What we need to do is come to God and just say, look, God, I'm sorry, and this is where I messed up, and you gave me this good gift, and I complained about it. And forgive me, and bear with me, and bring me on. And you gave me your word, and I... Um, have been neglecting it, or I didn't listen, I want to do it my own way, whatever it is that's going on in our life, we're honest with ourselves and with, with God, and we can come to Him. Because look at this long story about over and over and over the way God acted towards sinners, His goodness, and His love, and His, and his steadfast love, which we had a whole message on, if you remember His covenant, loyal love. I mean, He loves us uh, deeply. He promised to love us, and He's going, He's going to continue to love us and so we can confess i mean do you ever do you see yourself in any of these i definitely do i mean do you ever lose sight of god's goodness do you ever <clears throat> despise god's discipline when it comes do you ever grumble about the really 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 great gifts god has given you i think most of us can say yes you know yes um with kids with homes with jobs, with food, with um, modern conveniences, all these, there's many, many, many wonderful things. The Bible, our church, uh, church body, the fact that we can gather here without persecution, there's so many things that can become easy to just get complacent and to lose sight of his goodness and to focus in on something um, something else, something negative. Like I said already, do you ever... Um, feel upset by the way God's chosen to speak to you. You know, it's like God. I prayed for you to just to give me a word and give me a. You know, what should I do here? And instead, you gave me uh, different choices and, and asked me to walk in faith. Um, it would. You know, it's easy to to feel uh, basically like grumbling, even though God is giving us His best. Do you ever doubt, like the, the Hebrews, uh, the Israelites, that God will come through on his promises? It's like, here God is. He's giving you these promises, and then you doubt. It's like, well, is God really, does God really want to wash away my sin? Does God really want to be with me today? Does God really want to answer my prayers? And you begin, we begin to doubt. Um, so we can just confess that to God and just say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, help me. Help me walk forward. And he wants to. And that's the other thing we can take from this passage is look at how God wants to help them move forward, Mm -hmm. um, even in their failure and their sin. I think I've already shared this, but one thing, you know, we talk about what's the main thing God wants for us, and one of the main things is definitely love, you know. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, like all these wonderful things could happen. We could have great sermons, and we could have miracles happen. We could be giving a lot of uh, everything, you know, that we've had the poor and all that but if we don't have love it doesn't mean anything and for me one of the most helpful things about loving people is actually just confessing when I don't love people that's like the most helpful thing it's just recognizing it's like you know I pray through a list of people um you guys and there's times when I just say to God God I really don't love this person and I know that they're going through this hard time and I just if I'm really honest, I don't really care that much right now, and forgive me. It's like that's like the most helpful thing in my life to love people, is just recognize when I don't and just confess it, and then God comes in and he helps. and that really ties back into God not being the God being the hero, not us, right? It's like, what if um, we have the view that we've got to have it all together? Uh, we couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't tell you that, you know, um, and the reason I can tell you that. Is because your rope's not tied to me, and if it was, you'd fall. (laughs) Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna fall. You know, there's days when I um, sin, and when I don't do what I ought to do, and when I go to pray and I don't have love in my heart for you, and that's wrong. But the good news is, it's not dependent on me, right? It's dependent on God. You're tied to God, and and you're tied to Jesus, who always loves, who always loves you, perfectly. more than any of us, more than any person in this room does on their best day. God loves you more than that every day. Yes. Praise the Lord. And so we can just be honest. And how does that relate? How do we apply this? So that's individually we can confess our sins, but how does that relate relate to us corporately um, as one another? You know, how do we relate to one another um, If this is the story of the Bible of of a great God who has steadfast love and and wants to forgive sinners and draw them in and pull them up and help them in their weakness, how does that mean we need to relate to one another here? Well, it means that we need to be prepared to be bumping into sinners who are imperfect and um, who aren't our heroes, who aren't going to rescue us, but who point us back to our need for Jesus. and so that, to expect that from our spouses, from uh, the fellow you know people here, your church members that you go to church with, to everyone, your friends, um, expect that you're going to be dealing with sinners in need of grace, and that's important as we talk to one another, as we uh, bear one another's burdens, we need to have that in mind, and in the back of our mind, no um well, in the front of our mind, I guess you should say that there's a great and gracious God who loves them too and he's going to help them, bear with them and pull them up and wants to, wants to be near to them. And so we need to know that going in. It surely will help us as we relate to one another have our mind in the right place. Um, one more application here. Let's, say, let's do two, two more applications. One um, that comes out clearly here in this is just worship. They just worship God. It says specifically that they worship him. And then they kind of, it doesn't say worship at the very end, but basically they worship him and talk about um, who he is and how good he is. At the very end, uh, verse 32, it says, The great and mighty and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love I mean, it's like worship. That would be a good song. Long, kind of a long title, though. Great and my, Our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's a great God. <laughs> over and over and over. A lot of wonderful adjectives there. We can just worship God. When we look at this, we worship the God who you look back in your life, he's, he's, He bore with you, and He rescued you out of your sin. And then, even as you trusted Him, you know, believed that he would wash away your sin and you you believed him for that. There's a lot of other things we don't believe and we don't walk in. And he bears with us and he teaches us and he disciplines us and he guides us and he gives us his word. And he's there with us and um, he gives us victory. And there he is over and over and over, the good and gracious God who, who's there, Jesus. I mean, you know, we talked about how does this point to Jesus? Well, what is a promise that this fulfills. I mean, there's so many in here. There's a lot, you know. Um, But definitely this idea of steadfast love, for sure, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. They're appealing, like, God, this is what you said you'd be like. You said you'd be there near to sinners, and we're confessing our sin. Draw near to us and help us. And Jesus is just the epitome of that, coming to sinners and to draw near, to be there for us, even in our failures. Um, to wash us by his blood and then to walk with us, I mean how i mean it 's an infinite gift that God would just wash us and forgive us, but then, for him to say, "Yeah, but I want to be with you every day, I want to give my spirit to you, be in you, and be with you all the time that 's a great gift right it 's one thing I mean, if we did it, if we talked about like a judge, you know a judge meeting a guy who 's guilty it 'd be a great mercy just to forgive um, them, you know um but it would be totally different to say, yeah, and I want to adopt you. And I want you to live with me. And I'll provide for you and I'll be with you always uh, when you need me. And I'll love you. <laughs> it's totally different. And so much better. And that's what God has done for us. He didn't just forgive us. He adopted us. He's, he wants to be in our life every day. And so we can worship him. What makes you want to worship? Just the steadfast love of, of Christ and his goodness. And then just the final way that we can apply this here in our lives is just ask the God of steadfast love to be near us. Just just like they're saying, they're like, look, this is this history of our people and us. You know, they're confessing their own sins, how they've lived into the same story of, of having God's goodness but not embracing it, not believing His promises, not walking in His ways, and just saying... Here we are. We're wanting to walk with you and just basically be near to us. Um, despite our sin, despite our failures, draw near. And that's something we can pray. God, just be near to us. We're not perfect. We're not the heroes. We're in it very imperfect. There's so many good things, good things you've given us that we don't appreciate. And yet we want you to forgive us and be near to us and help us as we go forward. And it really helps as we read the bible i mean just to have this perspective to focus in on god um because as we go through this it's kind of a discouraging as we go through the rest of the book it's going to be kind of discouraging if we're focusing in on the israelites cuz they renew the covenant here but then it seems so sincere and real you know and it's like wow this is a great passage this particular passage where they're just acknowledging but then they turn back just not very many chapters later and they have to be rebuked again and so well, it just leaves you kind of on a discouraging note, unless you remember, it's like, yeah, they failed again, but the God who was there all the previous times with Moses, with uh, Joshua, with all the failures you know, up through Jeremiah, and then the whole thing, that same God who was there to pick them up and to forgive them and to lead them on, that same God is still there. And it was never about this generation here in Nehemiah getting it all right, it was always about the God who was there with them when they got it wrong, and that's very different. Um, And so that's the story we need to have in our minds, in our lives, in in the lives of this church, is we've got a great God, and we can lean into him. Our rope is not tied to any one of us or all of us together. Uh, It's tied to Jesus, and that's our real hope. Our anchor is in not our performance, but in his goodness and his love, and we can run to him. We can ask for forgiveness. We can be honest about our sins to one another and to God. And he's there and he loves us and he's a good God. And so praise the Lord. Worship him uh, for who he is and what he's done. It's a a wonderful thing. And, you know, in terms of the three things, how does it point to Christ? Is there a promise? We've talked about those two. And then E, an example, to follow or avoid. There's a lot of both in here. A lot of examples to avoid is just ask God to help us to appreciate his guidance. I'll just go over this. God has given you a promised land, right? This isn't your home. You're going to be with him. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that belongs to you. Um, if you're trusting Christ, um, if he's your king and savior and lord. Um, God's given you signs and wonders. To encourage your faith, think about the resurrection of Jesus. That was for you, so you could see and know. Wow, look, God really loves me. God really did not only die for my sins, but He washed them and and He was raised. God gave you the Bible, um, a way to walk. God's guiding you. It's like, how do how what do I want to what should I do here? God has helped, given you so many things t- to look at and and to see. This is the way to walk, and this is the way God wants you to walk. God gave you. His word, God's given you, God's given you bread and water. Even though it wasn't um, miraculous from heaven, God's fed you every day of your life that you've had food, and we can praise Him for that. God's given you His Spirit to instruct you. We can praise Him for that. Praise the Lord, because there's a lot of times when I, I want to follow the Bible. I don't know what I don't know what to do. I think, well, I, is it? Should I follow this verse or that verse? Should I? Is it somewhere in between? Is uh, I, and I get confused. Well, praise the Lord, He hasn't left me alone. Even when I don't, even when I feel confused, He's given me His Spirit to be there with me, walking. Um, he's given you victory. Think about Jesus. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith, as we trust Him, He has given us victory. That sin, and hell, and the devil aren't going to drag you down. If you continue to trust Jesus, He's got you. He's given you a Savior, of course, Jesus. We could summarize all of it. Well, one more. He's given you discipline, right? There's been times when you're going this way and it was the wrong way. God gave you discipline and brought you back. It's like, ah, I was going the wrong direction. I was messing up here. I needed somebody to come and tell me, hey, this was sin. This isn't right, what you did, um, and here's here's why. Or it could have been happened a different way, maybe through the Scriptures. God gives us, God disciplines us. And then to summarize all of it, God has given us his great goodness, right? And so there's so many reasons to be thankful, so many reasons to be encouraged. We can follow the good example that we see here in Nehemiah of just appreciating it, confessing our sin and walk going forward. We can uh, try and avoid the bad example of not leaning into it, um, leaning into what God has done and who he is. And so we can just ask the Lord to help us. And walk in this reality why don't we pray together Lord we just look to you and we are thankful Jesus that uh, we're not going to get to heaven on our good behavior or anything like that um, or our rule keeping but on you and your perfect life and death and thank you that you will rescue us um, when we fall into sin and I just pray you would discipline us, you would guide us, um, help us to worship you every day. We want to appreciate what you've done for us and just confess our uh, sin of going through days, um, not only not worshiping you and being thankful, but kind of grumbling about different things going on. We Just forgive us for that and help us to be different. Um, we look to you for help. We need your help. We can't do it. I pray you'd help us as a church, just to point one another back to you, and that we're you're our anchor and hope and savior. Pray you'd help us just to be um, honest with you about our sins and failures. I pray you'd help us to love one another, um, despite our all our imperfections and and failures and sins. Pray you'd help us to just feel your love uh, for one another. Um, we, we need help. Thank you for this passage, and thank you for these people just confessing their sins and um, leaning in on who you are. Thank you so much just for who you are. You're a good God. You're a gracious God. and We want to walk with you. We want you to be with us every day, and so we're asking you. Be near to us. Forgive us our sins. Amen.